Hello and welcome to a brand new series of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. And this time is with me, Hugo Monnier. We're really excited to bring you even more exclusive England rugby content on the podcast this summer and granting you behind-the-scenes access to the England camp. And to kick things off this week, we really do have some special insight for you as I find out a little bit more about a member of the England coaching team. So the real incentive, that was how I started. I wanted to make the third team so I could have hot showers in the evening. I sit down with none other than England scrum coach, Neil Hatley. I started off, believe it or not, as fullback and then moved fullback. to yeah, fullback. Okay. A different time. I, I can see it. Time. What was your kicking game like? <laughs> kicking game was good. <laughs> the running game wasn't as impressive. <laughs> as well as getting to know one of the England coaches recently crowned O2 England Women's Player of the Year, Sarah Byrne shares her sporting heroes with us. I've never known anyone else to push me and push herself that far. But first, here's part one of my chat with England Master of the Scrum. It's Coach Neil Hackney. I think everyone knows you as the scrum coach, but I'm hoping that you're going to be able to allow me to delve a little bit deep into the person that you are. Yeah, that's perfect. I'd like to be known as more than just a scrum coach. <laughs> well, you're a lot more than all of that. Okay. Um, been doing a bit of research, and one thing which surprised me straight off the bat was you're actually a northerner. Yeah, my accent fools are quite a few people. <laughs> yeah. um, I was born in Lancashire, uh, Chorley near Bolton. So, okay. Yeah, right, uh, not too far from the Bolton Wanderers Football Club. So, yeah, from up north. But my folks moved really early out to uh, Rhodesia, as was then, now Zimbabwe. And then we've moved around since then. I mean, it might sound like a silly question, but why move from Bolton to Zimbabwe? Just opportunity for my dad. He had, yeah. you know, he had, he had lived in England his whole life and um, he wanted to, to sort of expand, you know, and get out and see something different. So at the time, that was a good old work opportunity for him. He's a quantity surveyor. So okay. yeah, he jumped to get out and, and took all of us with him. And what were you like as a kid growing up? Were you active, mischievous or disciplined, all the things that you are now, I guess? Um, no, I, I think we were really fortunate. So I grew up in a lot of space. So really active. The, the lifestyle that you had there, everything was outdoors, weather was good. So you were literally indoors, you know, probably just the time that you needed to eat and sleep. And that was it. So being an active guy, I guess being outside the whole time, it was probably quite simple for you to, to find a love in sports. But, but why rugby of all the sports? Well, believe it or not, I only actually started playing rugby when I was about 16. My dad's a big football fan and actually a big rugby league fan, supported okay. Witness. So I did cricket, water polo, swimming, we did everything, um, apart from rugby. Uh, the school that I went to didn't play rugby. It was only when I moved to South Africa. I, uh, I went to a school called Dale College, which is a massive rugby school, didn't realise. Um, and I asked them on day one where the football fields were and got a, a swift clip around the air for, for mentioning football at a rugby school and got told that we don't play that here, it's just rugby. So my first introduction when I was well, just turning 16. That's amazing because I was exactly the same. I went to a boarding school in Hampshire and I wanted to play football and they were like, we don't do that. Yeah. So the only reason I actually took up rugby was to make friends, I guess, probably a similar story to yourself. Well, mine was a little bit different. The way that it worked in, in the hostel, I stayed in a, in a boarding house or a hostel, was if you played in the first, second or third team, you got a hot shower. You had a hot shower in the morning. You, if you played in the first three teams, you were allowed a hot shower in the evening. So it wasn't too bad in the summer, but winter um, in the hostels, which weren't as nice as some of the boarding schools you see now, um, was pretty cold at about half past six, seven o'clock. 
So the real incentive, that was how I started. I wanted to make the third team so I could have hot showers in the evening. Didn't you change position to make sure that you could be in the top three teams because you started off as a number eight, is that right? Well, I started off, believe it or not, as fullback and then moved fullback. to back. Yeah, fullback. Okay. A different time. I, I could see it. different time. What was your kicking game like? <laughs> kicking game was good. <laughs> the running game wasn't as impressive. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Okay, so you moved from fullback to, to where? To eight man. To eight man and then... Front row? Yeah, I noticed that there were... Oh, the blokes were playing in the third side. I thought, you know, I could do a bit more than them. So that was probably the quickest route through the hot showers. So I... Uh I dived in a tight head prop, spent one afternoon doing that and thought I'm not having any more of that and then moved across to Loosehead. Oh my word, do you remember your, the first scrum you ever took? I do. What was that like? Yeah, painful. Because um, <laughs> we had, as most rugby schools then, you had scrum machines that were basically stuck up against a tree with no springs in. So you hit the scrum machine and uh, depending on the level of padding or what time of the season it was, oh my yeah, gosh. It, was, it, was, um, it was reasonably tough. So the I thought the the ones against the tree were bad enough, but then when got into the first live one, I remember we played, we did some live unit sessions against the second team, and I had a pretty handy pack, and I got a, a proper pasting. It was good learning. It was real good. It didn't happen again. Yeah, I totally get that. I, I do find front rowers, uh, they're a bit of a rare breed, and they're a different specimen to most, I, I feel, and I'm saying this in close proximity to you, but take it all as a compliment. Um, but after taking a pace then, understanding how it hurts, and part of your training regime is to scrum against a tree, like, why continue? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it like that. <laughs> um, I suppose the lure of hot showers. Um, <laughs> I was a strong motivator in the middle of winter. Um, but it was just, you know what, the, the more I played it, the more I enjoyed it. You were constantly involved as a forward, you know, you didn't spend long periods of time standing around. So there was constant involvement and there was you against someone else. You yeah, know, it okay. was me against the same bloke for, at that point, 60 minutes as, as a 16-year-old. And it was an opportunity to, to scrap with him again and again and again. And I enjoyed that. You know, it's something I really liked. I guess we cast our mind back to quite a while ago now. And I think it's fair to say the role of a prop's probably changed quite considerably now. I mean, how would you say that it's changed? What does it look like? I, I think if you look, say, at someone like Makovinopolo, you know, and you look at some of the test matches and, and semi-finals or finals that he plays and he makes 24 carries... 28 tackles, has, you know, 12 or 14 scrums, same number of lineouts, cleans rucks. So I, I think the influence that, that some of the modern-day props, you know, you, that, that they have in the game, now you Carl Sinclair carries it, he makes, it's changed considerably. You know, they're expected to impact and impact properly outside the scrum. If you could um, play rugby again, you, I know you're retired and you're coaching, doing a brilliant job doing that. What position would you choose now and why? I think the tight ends are the blokes earning a lot of money. Uh, so maybe that. <laughs> tight ends or tens, but physically I think ten is probably got, you know, too far gone now. Oh, look, I, I love the position I played. Yeah. I, I know I've, I've looked around and you always think, oh, maybe you could have done that. But um, I loved it. Like I said, it was, it was confrontational. You still got enjoyment from it. And being a lucid, you got to get out a little bit quicker and carry the ball and offer yourself around the park more. So, you know, I'll probably still stick with it. Fair play. Um, you made the move from South Africa over to England, but by proxy of Joel Stransky. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that was right. I was, um, I was playing for Western Province. And um, it was just after the, the 95 tournament. And I, I bumped into Joel in Cape Town, and he had just sort of, uh, I think he'd bought shares into a, an agency, obviously the game went professional, and yeah. the player agents were now, you know, into the game, and he knew I was I was born in the UK, I think he was playing at Leicester at the time, Yeah, that's right. and uh, he spoke to me and said, look, you, sh- you should have a think about it, and he put me in touch with one or two people, and within about two weeks, 
I'd got an offer to fly over and to meet up with Mosley, okay, Bedford, yeah. Bath Rugby, mm-hmm. and uh, there was one more. I might be able to help you out here. Richmond. Richmond, that was it. There yep. you go. Um, yeah, and I ended up going to see, see all four of them. Um, I came with my brother Stephen, who played halfback. Uh, he ended up going to Bath, and I ended up going to Bedford. I, I really like what Bedford were were doing. Um, and I knew Rudy Shirley, I knew Sean Plattford, who was a second row there, okay. one or two players from there. And I quite liked the idea of, of joining something with a view to, you know, to, to winning promotion and to doing yeah. well and, to, and to, growing, like, to growing a story. Yeah, fair play to you. And what was the automatic differences you saw in rugby culture in England versus what you'd experienced in South Africa? I think forward play in South Africa was, was unbelievably important, as it was here in, in the UK. You know, the, the stark difference, I suppose, the weather was first and foremost and the quality of the pitches. How was that for you, the yeah, weather? it was a big change. Yeah, I got over in about November. You need so those hot showers then. <laughs> yeah, you did need them. So it hit pretty quickly. Um, I think just the, the quality of the pitches, you could see sometimes why the game was stodgy in, in, in the UK for that period, whereas a lot of the pitches in South Africa were, were still firm and fast, so yeah. the, the game was probably a lot quicker, but as confrontational. So, you know, a bigger set-piece focus, a bigger ruck focus. I mean, I, I, I look back at that at that sort of period of time, the Leicester pack, there was basically the yeah, England pack. Yeah. Good scrum, good line-out, good at the ruck. So, you know, I wasn't too far removed from... From what, what I was used to playing in South Africa, again, big, heavy pack, yep. big men. Probably, if anything, maybe a little bit more confrontational ruck time and set piece time. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting, actually, because I think we've always had this impression that South African rugby's been a lot more physical than what we probably offer here, but you're saying the yeah, maybe I think, on par. Yeah, I find it, you know, lots of big men in yeah. South Africa. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, look, I think when I came over here, like I said, you played Leicester like that. You played Richmond. You had the Quinnells. Um, you know, you had Barry Williams. You had loads of big yeah. blokes floating around everywhere. So every, it just seemed strange. Every time I went to a club, there seemed to be five or six internationals in their pack. Then go to Northampton was Gary Pagel, Tim Rodber, oh, okay. Budge Poutney. Oh, wow. Um, Olivia Bruce Yeah, uh, Freddie Mendes from Argentina. So, you know, it was the same sort of story everywhere. Um, and took a lot of work at the set piece. So... Yeah, I found the um, the, the set piece battle and and the the, the confrontation on the game line as easily as hard in England as did in South Africa. We moved from the Midlands down south to uh, to London Irish, and at time of retirement, 192 appearances, which was a Premiership record at the time. Yeah, yeah, I think Steve, unbelievable. Chris. Yeah, Steve went past it. I was only last year where Rich Wigglesworth went past Steve, yeah. so yeah, got a little bit of a chuckle in the coach's room. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a good time. I enjoyed my time at London Irish. Again, you know, I, I came in at a period where where Dick Best was in charge. He was a, a unique individual. Can you just you? I mean, because anyone ever says the name Dick Best, and they've always got a few stories. You, you oh look, we haven't only got half an hour. Um, <laughs> He was um, he was different. He, he challenged you in different ways. You know, very no nonsense approach. Yeah. Um, but he enjoyed it. You know, he enjoyed what he did. Uh, we didn't always see eye to eye. And we fell out on occasion, but it always came back to you know to working hard, and that's what Dick demanded. If you didn't work hard, you you know you got the short end of it very quickly. As a coach now, when you look back at your playing career and the relationship you had with the likes of your Dick Best in this world, has it helped you have more of an empathy in terms of your coaching style with this current group of players? Oh, look, I think 
sometimes is it's, it's cyclical, isn't it? Old school doesn't mean bad school. It yeah. sort of comes around. There's a few of the themes, you know, a, a few of the the trends that that run true through the game and they, and they run through consistently. Yeah. So I think there's little bits, you know, so people who used to work and then go to go to training before it went pro, and even when it went pro, it was still blokes working, you know, full time jobs and mm-hmm. then and then going into training. So. I enjoyed it, you know. I really, I enjoyed my time at London Irish with Dick Best. Like I said, tough, some tough times, but um, but always enjoyable. What's your best memories of playing in the green shirt? We um, not a great score. We have about twenty six, twenty seven players that we use consistently throughout the season. So the same guys muscled up every week and played every week. I think games that really stood out. Um, we beat Leicester forty five nil at the Stoop when London Irish were sort of in that transitional phase and didn't have a ground yeah. and they, they played for two years yeah, at the Stoop yeah. and we beat, you know, Corrie, Back, Johnson, Kay, Garforth, Cockrell, Roundtree, Austin Healy, Will Greenwood, etc. Yeah. Well, I think we, we beat them 45-3 and they were never in the game, you know. And Yeah, we, we had a good side and then although I got injured just before the Power Gen Cup, you know, I was a, a privilege to be part of that team. Like I said, I actually tore my, my bicep off the bone um, against Northampton a few weeks earlier, so I missed the final. But just to see the work that that group had put in, even though I wasn't involved on the day, was a, was a, a big day for me. Did you play in the semi-final at the Stoop in 09? No, that was yeah. It was after my time. Was I was just coaching. Time. Yeah, my cat intercepted Danny Kerr, scored under the poles. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was a horrendous day. It was absolutely <laughs> no, horrendous. Well, for day. you, it was all well, right for us. Yeah, no, it was, I mean it's, it's great for you guys. I, I do remember that day because London Irish were bitter rivals of Harlequins. Yeah. We loved it. I mean, one, it was because of the proximity. Number two, because you had a lot of English qualified talent, as did we. Yeah. And then when you guys rocked up at our patch, I thought, here we go. This is a time for us to really put a stamp on it. And then, yeah, Danny Kerr threw the intercept to Mike Cat, And I think you nailed us that day. Yeah, I think it was good as well. It was, was about it? 55 minutes into the game. <laughs> Catty only had about 40, 30 metres in him. So it was, it was lucky that he took the intercept just outside the 22. Like you say, I, I love the, the rivalry. With Quinns, it was a, a, a bitter but good rivalry. And you won't like to hear this. When I first joined, for about those first five or six years, I don't think we lost a game. Uh, my first five or six years at the club, where's Garrick Morgan? Yes. You know, Garrick Morgan, yeah, yeah, David yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Zinzan Brook, players like that. Tony Diprose was there. Yeah. Jason Leonard would still so, be just, there. Yeah, was Jason was just finishing. So we had a really good run against Quinns. And I think a lot of that was motivated by Dick, obviously as a an ex-Quinns legend and a yeah, coach. Yeah. yeah, the week seemed to be a lot more vociferous when we played Quinns. Well, I'm glad we can leave that all behind <laughs> us now. Let's, let's move on to your yeah. coaching careers. You coached at London Irish, of course, and then you moved on to Bath. You know, I was fortunate to work with the players at a period of the, you know, guys like Anthony Watson, Jonathan Joseph, even guys like Kieran Lowe, who played in, uh, for Scotland, Rob Herring, who's now playing for Ireland. And I stay in contact with them. You know, they, they call me, I get phone calls from Alex Corbusier every now and then from Miami. Um, and I, I think that for me is a, is a good indicator. They'll phone for, you know, phone for advice or, or phone to just check up on a few things. And I, you know, my son Justin Bishop was was heavily involved in that period then yeah. as well. So, from a coaching point of view, I was I was lucky that I, I got the group that I got. Yeah, okay. Um, who wanted to work hard and and were keen to improve. But I think the coaches that made an impact on me were people that could sit and have a conversation with me that I could develop a relationship with. Who are they? At school, there's a guy called Kenny Ball. Um, who I speak to probably twice a month still. Awesome. Um, you know, that's 30 years after finishing school. Um, Ian McIntosh. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. With Natal Shaw, with Natal as they were then. And a guy called Alan Zonda, who coached in South Africa, coached at yes. Saracens for a little bit. 
you know, and they, they treated me as, as a human um, and they wanted to know more about me and, and how I was getting on. And those are the guys I wanted to play for. You know, I had lots of other very good coaches, but in, in tough moments, you, you always felt like I'd, I wanted to work harder to not let, obviously, a teammate some, but particularly those coaches because they had, they had taken time and effort to, to get to know me and to really make an effort to improve me. Hi, this is Ben Youngs, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Life. Hi there, I'm Sarah Byrne, England's tight head, and these are my three sporting heroes. Number one, Usain Bolt. I just think he's an amazing athlete, and he's got such a good character about him, and he really gets the crowd going. Someone that I would look up to, and I, I love that he's so in touch with his fans. My second one would be Izzy Noel Smith, growing up and playing rugby, coming into the England squad. I've never known someone to work so hard, to fight everything, everything, they just give 100% and I've never known anyone else to push me and push herself that far, even when she really didn't want to and she wasn't getting the rewards from it. And my third one would be Danielle Waterman. She's had a lot of adversity and she's had a lot of tough times that she's fought back and managed to get back on the pitch, not just to be a player on the pitch, but to be a standout player and probably a legend in our game. Some great choices there, I've got to say. Thoroughly enjoying the Usain Bolt inclusion. Cheers, Sarah. Now let's hear from the second part of our feature interview with Neil Hatley. So what percentage of your coaching time is spent actually on the technical side of the game versus actually trying to get to know your players and have that relationship with them? I think it used to be, you know, more technical and tactical. And I think particularly, you know, with the England job where we'll maybe not see the guys for, for long periods is that relationship that you build up with them and how you keep them engaged and, and make sure that you're staying in contact with them whilst they've got to focus on their clubs. Yep. Um, and then when they come in here, quickly you've got to build that relationship back up again because you may not have seen them for a little while. Um, it's a huge part. You know, we, we talk constantly as a coaching group about getting to know your players, getting to understand your players. You know, so it's, it's huge. It's a massively important part of the game. Were you England scrum coach? Um, you got the phone call from Eddie Jones a few years ago. What was that conversation like? What did he say? Yeah, it was a brief conversation. Um, you know, I just got phoned up. Somebody said to me, look, would you be interested? I said, yeah, of course I'd be interested. And uh, Eddie phoned me up one night, asked me who my starting front row would be if I had to select a front row now, who would the backup front row be? Questioned me a little bit on that and then said to me, right, can you get me a, a one-pager to me on your scrum philosophy by this evening? He just said, look, send it along uh, and hopefully we'll chat again in the future. So a, a pretty short phone call, but very clear, very concise as to you know, as to what he was expecting. Then I um, probably didn't hear much for, for about two weeks. I thought it couldn't have gone that well. And <laughs> yeah. um, I then got asked to, to go and meet him out in Reading. And I went to go and meet him there again, probably a, a 15, 20-minute meeting where he was really clear about what he wanted from a scrum coach. He asked me a few, uh, you know, some, some questions on how I thought the game should be played, how I thought the, the scrum should be developed. I said, right, thank you very much, we'll be in touch. Got back in the car, and about 15 minutes later I got a, a phone call saying um, he wants to offer you the job. 15 minutes after you got in the car. Yeah. I so. love how he left it, like, oh, we'll be in touch. But <laughs> clearly, you clearly made a big impression on him. What kind of relationship have you got with Eddie Jones? 
It's a good one. Look, I, I find him, he's an unbelievably bright rugby person to talk to. He's got such unique experiences from coaching in South Africa, um, Australia. He's coached in Japan. Yeah. He's coached in the Premiership. You know, there are very few coaches who have got the, the coaching scope that he has. And he's got a sharp eye, you know, those relationships. But so we talked about earlier when, when players come in and you'll say, Hats, did you see that or did you see that? And you don't always see it. Okay. Um, you know, and he, he picks up all those little nuances. Yeah. So he's, he's an unbelievably good person to sit down and chat and, and ask him what he sees and, and how does he see that and what didn't you see. So, yeah, I like to try and, and, and cherry-pick some of the knowledge because he's got a wealth of it. What player in the squad do you think reflects the player that you were or is there one? <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to say Mako because he, he's he's, he's a class. Big, yeah, well, but I'm maybe well I'm maybe pushing it there. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe from a, a playing point of view, maybe Ben Moon. Okay, cool. Because um, he gets on with it. You know, I I, um, I was fortunate later on in my career to captain a few sides, but for the early part of it, I just I recognised the value in just getting on with it. You know, we had lots of people who wanted to voice opinions. Maybe some I should have done a, a more of, but I just. Yep, got an instruction, or I just need to get on with it and yep. do it to the best of my ability. Okay, cool. And what personality in the squad reflects who you are? Personality. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. Maybe a little bit of Joe Marler, um, where I like to enjoy myself. You know, I, as even, and I'm not saying the whole Joe Marler because I know <laughs> I don't know one ever to be compared to that. Um, but I, you know, I like about and you saw some of his comments when he was playing for the Barbarians. You know, I, I enjoyed playing. I didn't yeah. always enjoy training, but um, I enjoyed playing. And I enjoyed speaking to people and meeting people um, and spending time in, in, you know, with other players, finding out you know, who they are and, and what they do and how they get better. Hi, this is Ben Moon and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Sounds like a really obvious question, but the guys have been in camp now for a couple of months ahead of tournament later on this year. But what's the purpose of this pre-season? To be the best prepared team. Uh, you know, when, when when we get to the tournament. So we want to be the best prepared team. Leave no stone unturned physically, technically, tactically. We have to be the best prepared team in the world. And what's been the main focuses, the main messages which you've sent out to the squad? I suppose it's, without giving too much away, it's the way that we, England, want to play the game. So we see the game that, you know, the, the style of rugby that we want to play as certain strengths and we we want to stick to those you know there's there's a certain way that we want to play we're we're not like anyone else um we play an england way and that's a game that we've been cultivating over the last two or three years and we we want to play that you would say that the squad's really evolved over the last few years had some great times and had some lows but i guess that's professional sport where where are this team placed at the moment well i I think there's that's the exciting thing you know I, i you know, we obviously went to Australia the, the start of when I joined 2016. We won 3-0 and then went on that 18-match that unbeaten run and then had a few hiccups and then came out through the other side. I think the exciting thing for me is that with the players that we've got, you know, the, the potential that we've got, the scope for growth is huge. So probably the, the most positive thing is where this team can still get to. It's interesting you just reflected on the, the great points and some of the hiccups which your squad has had, but I guess that's all part of the learning of, of any team, especially on the international side, right? Yeah, most definitely. You know, we, we And I think this is that something that people like Eddie and Steve, you know, where, they, where they're so good within the squad, is that we're not just learning off defeats, we're learning when we do things well, we're learning off wins. And, you know, those defeats, really, they are it's just feedback. You know, the game's giving you feedback that what you're doing is not good enough. And how excited are you for the challenges which, which lie ahead? Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I really can't wait to get going. So 
yeah, like I said, we, there's been a lot of planning and thought that's gone into this, and we're really excited. You know, I know the playing group are excited, the coaching group are excited. You know, we we, we can't wait to get going. Um, you'd have taken a lot of inspiration, I reckon, the last year and a half or so. From we saw the England boys out in Russia, we've seen the Lionesses this summer, we've seen the cricket, we've seen the women in in the World Cup, and now the Ashes. The way in which they've been able to captivate a nation. I mean, I guess that's the same kind of support and impact rugby's looking to have. Completely, I think you know, as, as a squad, we talk about the responsibility that we have. You know, we've got a responsibility to to England, a responsibility to you know to to the people of England to the game of rugby so we're really clear on the responsibility that we have and it's you know this is an opportunity for us not only to celebrate as a nation but to grow the game you know to grow the game to grow the traditions of the sport it's a a big responsibility but one that's that's shouldered you know very happily. So Hats um, what hobbies do you have outside of rugby? I like to read so I'm an avid reader all print as well no iBooks or anything like that so I like to read books I'm currently reading um, Bruce Springsteen Born to Run his his autobiography so it's mainly only autobiographies that I like to read I'm not a big one for okay. yeah, for all the other novels and things like that so do you read to learn or do you read to be entertained um, a little bit of both since I started this job I've probably done a lot more reading to learn but I, I just love to read I love being able to sit down have time just to, to pick up a book and page through it Good man. Um, you know, this is a highly demanding job. When you do have time to relax, how do you relax? I've got um, two beautiful daughters, so I spend time with my daughters and time with my wife. And I like the cinema. Yeah, I really enjoy the cinema. Top three films. I mean, well, that's like, this is a ridiculous question. Yeah. Just dump that on you. Quick yeah. fire, now, now, Apocalypse Now. now. I really like Apocalypse Now. Okay. Everyone would expect you to say Shawshank Redemption, yeah. so I'm not saying it's that. So Apocalypse Now. Um, I like the original Star Wars. Okay, cool. And um, just trying to think I'm, I'm wanting a rom-com from a, <laughs> no, an ex front no, right forward. Definitely no rom-com. Um, uh, we were kings. The, um, kings. Yeah, the Muhammad Ali, you know, that heavyweight boxing era, which was, yeah. I mean, just unbelievable. Okay, last question now. Um, if you didn't play rugby, you could choose another sport, what would it have been? Football. Football, what yeah. position? Midfielder, controlling midfielder. <laughs> Great, great passing, great passing ability. Just putting people through gaps, things like that. Paul Scholes, kind of Roy. Yeah, King. you've got it exactly a, a that, yeah. that. Good man, Hats. Thank you so much for your time. Only a pleasure. Thanks for opening up, and all the very best for uh, what's to come. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Fantastic insight and access once again, and that's the inside line on the England scrum coach Neil Hatley. Thanks so much to him and, of course, to Red Rose, Sarah Byrne. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do us a favour and leave us a rating, five-star, of course, and a review, and that way more fellow rugby fans can find us too. In the meantime, keep up to date with all the latest by checking out England Rugby on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, on Instagram. But for now, that's all from me, and we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.